You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello and welcome to the Oz Network for another very special solo spoiler-free review of a recent-ish movie that's uh, still playing in theaters somewhere. Uh, That's right, Ben did such an outstandingly adequate job of covering the big sick and Logan Lucky on his own that uh, I decided to try it out. Uh, That's right, we're officially at the point where none of us can get anybody to go to a movie with us. So we're now just going everything solo. Uh, My name is Colin, and that was the sign of me doing sign language for my opening quip, which fits perfectly with this new rebooted Planet of the Apes series. It's now in its third installment. Final installment? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, But this, of course, started with Rise of the Planet of the Apes in 2011. Then we had the Dawn of the Planet of the Apes in 2014. (laughs) And we are now at the third and maybe final chapter, kind of final chapter, kind of transition chapter. Uh, This is War for the Planet of the Apes, uh, which came out back in July. Uh, And it's... I I mentioned this, I said, many times throughout all of our other reviews that we had covering movies early in the summer, as far back as Guardians of the Galaxy, that uh, every movie coming out this uh, summer that's now passing, that Planet of the Apes was the one I wanted to see the most, above Wonder Woman, above Spider-Man, above The Mummy or Atomic Blonde or anything else. So we're finally here, or I'm finally here, to talk about a movie that I saw by myself and now want to share my thoughts on uh, about a month and a half late. But before we even get into the new one, War for the Planet of the Apes, uh, the third in this series, the, I guess that would be ninth overall Planet of the Apes movie, uh, eighth if you don't include the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes, which I have some very strong, very negative feelings on, which I may end up going on a rant on at some point in the middle of this episode. Uh, But I guess just a bit of a background for people who don't know, and if you don't know, we will keep this spoiler-free. We're going to try to keep it spoiler-free if you have not seen... The previous two movies or the original series, you may get something spoiled, but I'll try my best here. Uh, Obviously, the original Planet of the Apes movie series goes all the way back to 1968. And uh, that was the the famous one with the Statue of Liberty and Charlton Heston and uh, everything parodied on The Simpsons. It was Earth all along. Sorry to spoil it for everybody. Uh, But this series uh, rebooted years and years later and even 10 years after Tim Burton's horrible, horrible, horrible Planet of the Apes remake that uh, I have some very strong feelings on, which I am holding back on. We'll cover it one of these days. Uh, We get the reboot, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which, by the way, was originally titled Rise of the Apes in a way to kind of separate it from the Planet of the Apes name, which was kind of made into a joke uh, after Tim Burton's remake. And uh, it it was sort of an attempt to bring it back to reality, because if you go back and you watch the original Planet of the Apes movies, I'd say particularly the first one, Gets a little bit silly in the second. Third one was kind of comical. We'll kind of go through all those a little bit. But uh, this was an attempt to make something that was a little bit more of like a social uh, commentary. A bit of a satire, but uh, all around a dramatic movie. And that's what the original Planet of the Apes was. And it kind of evolved into being, I guess, a very kid-friendly sci-fi blockbuster franchise of the 70s. Even though the movies were always kind of low budget. It was just something that uh, worked with kids, which is why it eventually spawned off its own animated series, its own live-action series for a while. Both were short-lived. And, of course, five movies in the original series, all of which, to a certain degree, still retain this serious tone. And that was out the window with Tim Burton. So they wanted to bring it back to reality. And Rise of the Planet of the Apes, uh, I guess, was kind of originally pitched as a prequel 
to the Planet of the Apes movies, but in reality, if you have seen the Planet of the Apes movies, and we'll try not to spoil too much, but it does involve time travel, and it does involve uh, a lot of jumping back and forth between uh, timelines, and it's all very complicated, but essentially, by the time you got to Planet of the Apes 4 in the original series, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, you were looking at both a sequel and a prequel at the same time. And it involved the original ape, the first ape to really rise up against humans, which was named Caesar, who was also the first ape who had the ability to speak and communicate and was intelligent. And Rise of the Planet of the Apes was meant as a remake of Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, the fourth movie, as confusing as that sounds. And all around, I mean, it basically surprised everybody. I can remember seeing the first trailer and being a big fan of the Planet of the Apes movies. I saw the original Planet of the Apes probably maybe about a year, year and a half before Tim Burton's came out. And uh, even at the time, I just thought it was it was amazing. It was one of the most unique movies. And of course, it had been spoiled for me by The Simpsons. And uh, uh, it was Earth all along. I love you, Dr. Zayas, all of that. Um, but still, I mean, you can still enjoy it for being such a clever movie. And there's so much more to it other than that big twist ending. And, uh, you know, from there, I ended up watching, I think at the time, the sci-fi network here in Canada, Space, was airing a Planet of the Apes movie every single week for uh, most of the summer. And I watched all the original movies. And even though, you know, there's good and bad things about them, the first one's really the only really great one, I found a lot to enjoy with all those. So I kind of was excited this idea of them taking Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and just making it a full reboot. It's not involving any of the time travel stuff. It's just, let's do a story on this first ape to rise. And even at the time it came out, they kind of pitched this very loose reboot. But if you've seen the original movies and you've seen rise of the planet apes you realize that there's a lot in there that's similar and uh, even when you move into dawn of the planet of the apes dawn of the planet of the apes so uh, could have been just an original story but instead uh i felt it was probably at least 25 30 percent a remake of the fifth planet of the apes movie battle of the planet of the apes uh now this time we're here in 2017 and we're uh, out of Planet of the Apes movies, unless we're going all the way up to the original, which you can't do because Caesar is now uh, the big leading man in Hollywood. An ape, motion capture ape, is the leading man of Hollywood, the, the big hero of this generation, uh, at least one of them, I think. And you still want to ground these movies with Caesar, and that's the selling point of these movies. So War for the Planet of the Apes is kind of a direct continuation of Dawn, uh, not really taking a lot from those original movies. It's more or less the first completely original story that they've done with this rebooted series and uh, just as a bit of a background on the rebooted one as i said i remember the first time that i saw the trailer for rise of the planet of the apes uh it was still called rise of the apes they hadn't even tacked the planet of the apes on and then i remember seeing the trailer once as rise of the apes and then they came up with the rise of planet of the apes maybe about a month later and in a sold out theater i can't even remember what it was i was seeing uh, you heard people audibly laughing like mocking laughing oh they're doing a rise of the planet of the apes movie somehow the trailer didn't sell it and i wasn't even completely sure how good it was going to be until i saw it and even having been a fan of the original movie series uh not a fan of the remake you know i was optimistic i felt okay this looks like it's the right direction for it but i was completely blown away when i saw it opening weekend like completely blown away it was hands down the best movie i had seen in all of 2001 and i still stand by that uh, you go forward to 2014, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and you know they brought a new director in uh, Rupert uh, Wyatt did the first one, and Matt Reeves, who uh, was coming out of Cloverfield, directed Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and uh, he basically kept it very similar to Rise as far as the tone goes and the characters. Even going as far, you, you're jumping ahead over 10 years in the story now in Dawn, uh, where 
it's getting a little bit closer to what we know as the Planet of the Apes world from those original movies, but he still kept these characters, these minor ape characters in there. And, and what he did that was really interesting was he started to transition the series into being uh, about humans in Rise, where there was an ape as the lead character that kind of learns how to speak and learns to be intelligent and starts this uprising. And then in Dawn, they have this whole civilization. And the movie's kind of 50-50. It's 50% um, Jason Clark and uh, the human side of the story. And the other 50% is really Caesar. And you kind of have those two leading characters. Uh, right off the bat, let's just get out of the way. War for the Planet of the Apes is 100% a Caesar movie. And I'm thrilled with that just because I don't think we've ever seen a character, a motion capture character. You want to go back to you know, Andy Serkis, who plays Caesar in these movies. You go back to Gollum and what a huge groundbreaking uh, character that was. Just for the first time, people were able to see a real performance out of motion capture and uh, out of a computer-generated character. And then you go into Avatar, which, you know, uh, I don't think the movie ages that well. Uh, but again, the effects, you know, especially bringing 3D into it is just extraordinary. And we kind of reached this point in 2009 where you could make these characters, these living characters, out of just a motion capture suit and you know, a bunch of guys on a computer. And so only two years later, I mean, Rise of the Planet of the Apes had probably the greatest effects I have ever seen, uh, motion capture or anything. The, the, these apes are the most realistic looking thing you will ever see out of a computer-generated character to the point in Rise and even up until now, and especially now with War for the Planet of the Apes, it is maybe the first time you've seen a 100% photorealistic computer-generated character. And there's so many of them in this one. And uh, the fact that we started this with a lot of humans and one ape, really, and now we're moving into the majority of the cast being apes, and I'll get into how little humans really even play a part in this in a second, but it is an ape story, and this could never have been pulled off without the effects they've had, and also without the performance of Andy Serkis, because uh, as I said a few minutes ago, he's kind of like the, the leading man, the, the movie hero for uh, this age of blockbusters, and uh, I think without giving away too much about my review, I mean, even going into this, uh, I was sort of feeling that uh, the last 15 years, you know, you'd had a lot of movie franchises that showed a lot of promise, and even the first two movies are fantastic. And then you get to the third, and it's just, no, you should not have done that. Spider-Man's a perfect example of that. You know, Spider-Man 1 and 2, amazing movies, somehow lost on a third one. You think of Pirates of the Caribbean, first one, really great. Second and third, not so good. The Matrix movies, you know, first, great. Second and third, not good at all. Um, even the board, I think the board movies may have been the closest thing to it. You had a good trilogy, and even pretty decent legacy. And if you ever want to, you know, hear me get really angry, a Canadian get really angry, we'll eventually do Jason Bourne, the most recent one, and even that lost it. So uh, just the idea that this Planet of the Apes series, in my mind, could become like the first fully complete film series, uh, just a perfect film series, a trilogy for this generation was really exciting. And uh, I, w I went into this with really high expectations, as I said, uh, it was the number one movie I want to see this year. And Honestly, getting into the review part now, it, the movie doesn't disappoint at all. I mean, if you're expecting something as good as Rise and Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, this is just as good, in some ways better. Uh, I'm not going to say in all ways better, because I think the only thing that really detracts for War from the Planet of the Apes is the level of fun that you can have in this movie. Uh, because Rise of the Planet of the Apes was a serious, dramatic movie, but it was kind of an uplifting movie at the same time, you know, especially the way you're seeing the character of Caesar develop. And when he's a younger ape, you know, it's it's kind of fun to watch him just the way you'd watch regular apes, you know, playing around and everything, except a little bit more intelligent. Uh, there was a lot of fun in that movie. In fact, my nephews, who you may have heard on the Spider-Man Homecoming episode, you know, they range in the ages from like 8 to 13, 
they saw Rise of the Planet of the Apes, they loved it. And even Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is a much more serious movie, and I kind of was expecting the tone we had here for war would have been too drastic for Dawn. Uh, but at the same time, I felt that Dawn almost pulled back a little bit on being the dark second chapter, and in some ways was an even more fun action blockbuster than Rise was. Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes, not really that. I mean, this is a heavy movie. That's the only word I could really use to describe it. It's a very heavy story. The subject matter is heavy. It's not you know, anything controversial. Uh, it's not anything too dark. It's just, it's very serious. There's not a lot of moments of humor in this at all. There's really only one character that brings a little bit of humor. And even then, it's not the type of character that you know, you're stopping to laugh in the middle of the movie. Uh, there is no emo C Caesar strutting like you got in Spider-Man 3. Uh, so maybe this is a good thing. This is what these uh, other film series needed with a serious third chapter. Uh, but yeah, overall, I mean, it's it's such a good movie. I mean, this is by far, if you were to rank the most fun Planet of the Apes movies, I would rank this third out of this most recent trilogy. It's definitely not as fun as the first two. If you were to rank what is the best, which one is the, the, the deepest, which one is the most dramatic and the most effective uh, just for the story it's telling, hands down it would be war. Uh, just going to a little bit of the story here, I mean, as we talked about, Rise of the Planet Apes was sort of just about the one ape and the intelligence, and it kind of spawns uh, this virus, I guess, in part two, uh, where it's connected, of course, what's giving the apes their intelligence is actually killing humans. And that's how we get to the point in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, where humans kind of been wiped out. You know, we're not really following an ape society. They call it Planet of the Apes movies, but it's not so much Planet of the Apes as it is Colony of Apes. In uh, even this one, even the entire trilogy, is just sort of this one colony led by Caesar, which of course would be important if the series continues, because this is where all the law comes from. This is uh, the, the, the leader. This is what sets them up becoming their own society, which would probably spread throughout the world and find out. But it's still just its own contained story about one colony. But you still get this idea, even in Dawn, that humans are dwindling and they're fighting for survival, but it's not really at a war yet. I mean, there, there's kind of this fear of apes, but nobody really knows the other one exists. And at the end of Dawn, after you had had, uh, uh, I guess, a villain ape come up named Koba, uh, which if you haven't seen the movie and you don't want anything spoiled, maybe tune out now because <laughs> there'll be a few more things to mention about uh, Koba and how that last story progressed. Uh, but Koba became the first uh, villain ape, I guess, and uh, through a series of things, he tried to overthrow Caesar, uh, ended up starting a war between the humans and the apes. Uh, and even Caesar has that line from the trailer, which I think everybody's seen, I did not start this war. And a lot of this movie has to do with that one line, even though it's probably, uh, it kind of had to be the only line in the trailer because it's one of the only lines we really hear spoken throughout this movie you know, from uh, an ape to another speaking uh, human character. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just sort of about this war that nobody really wanted to happen. It was sort of unfortunate circumstances, but they're in the middle of fighting it now. And we're a couple of years after Dawn. I don't know how many, if it's said in the movie or not, uh, and yeah, this war is kind of brutal. Uh, the movie starts out with you know a big battle scene, and you see this army that's led uh, by a character who hasn't been introduced yet, Woody Harrelson's character, who really is the only speaking human role in this entire movie. I mean, that that's not even an exaggeration. I would count three humans that I feel have any significance to the story. One is a very minor significance, which is kind of, uh, I guess, a second-in-command to the colonel, Woody Harrelson's character. And the other one doesn't speak. It's a little girl that doesn't speak for the entire movie. So this movie is carried completely by the apes, but the humans we see there, they've kind of gone uh, 
little bit of a darker step and they have these apes that they call donkeys and i guess the uh, uh impression you get is that the apes that followed koba at the end of dawn are the ones that the humans are whether they're enslaving them or they just feel you know we can't win this battle so let's join them for our own survival uh some of the apes have joined the humans and that's another one of the conflicts in this movie that uh, makes it a little bit heavy is it's about these apes that are kind of just joining humans to kill other apes and there is a lot of death in this movie uh apes and humans um but ultimately what happens is that this colonel who we don't see a lot of in the first half of the movie uh leads this sneak attack against the apes and all this is what you saw in the trailer that shot of woody harrelson swinging with the machine gun behind the waterfall and it's sort of just the last straw for the apes and caesar and all the others decide we have to leave here it's not safe for us here anymore and they go out and that's basically the story i mean it's funny there are spoilers that we could give away in this movie we're not going to give any away but it's almost in a way like dunkirk i don't know how much you can give away because it it's it's kind of just there's not a lot to the story it's very basic uh, a few surprises along the way but for the most part it's just what i told you it's the ape exodus leaving their village trying to go across the desert to find new land which you see a lot of scenery in this that will be familiar if you watch the original planet of the apes movies a lot of traveling across a beach uh that's kind of where the original movie takes place especially that iconic final shot uh obviously the geography is completely different in here you know there's no statue of liberty since we're in california uh the cool thing that i found though is that they the apes are making their way up the coast throughout this movie and just as a canadian i thought it was cool we eventually see snow and i'm thinking the apes are coming to canada this is what i want the only last place where they can have peace uh away from the evil skinhead woody harrelson's of the world who want to slaughter them is to come to canada uh i don't know how far they make it i don't know how uh quickly they could have made it to snow from california where we saw in the first movie and we know they weren't far from there from what we saw in dawn uh but still cool we get a change in scenery in this it's not just in the first one it was really an ape in the city or in an ape jail i guess you would say uh that was the main setting of rise dawn was all in the forest uh here they move them out of there so it keeps the movie fresh even though it's very similar to dawn just in the, this whole conflict between the apes and humans and it's more like a cold war for the planet of the apes <laughs> more than anything else but uh i like that we get the snow in this one you know, they go tra- travel far enough north or they're in the snow and just before we get into some of the other characters here that get introduced along the way and uh what we see of the humans the little we do see of the humans here uh it should be noted that um Caesar's kind of on a solo mission this movie and if I were to classify War for the Planet of the Apes anyway if Rise was really about Caesar uh starting a rebellion Dawn was about Caesar preventing a war and leading his own society war is about him kind of separating himself from there and he's kind of off on this own mission where he feels i'm the only one who can do this and he originally wants to go off on his own and a couple of the other apes do follow him it's kind of caesar's solo quest in this movie this is like this it could almost be the stand standalone caesar movie uh that's not just how much of a main character is in this but just uh, how much we do see him throughout it but of course the other two main apes that we were introduced to in the first one i guess there were four of the apes that kind of had characters in rise even before the battle started just in introducing we had Maurice which is kind of the intellectual ape the really big orangutan you see in all these movies that's Maurice who's the top advisor to Caesar you have Rocket uh who in the original movie was more of a rival and now here again he's one of his uh biggest allies in Koba who don't want to give too much away about Dawn if you haven't seen it but then again why are you listening to a spoiler free review of War if you haven't seen Dawn 
Uh, Koba, who's no longer in this series, he does appear still. And this is the most interesting thing about how in-depth this movie is about Caesar's character. And this being a standalone Caesar movie, it has more to do uh, just with how deep it is into Caesar's character and what he's going through personally throughout this movie uh, than it is about just Caesar having the most screen time or having this sort of solo mission. Uh, Caesar's kind of haunted by Koba and he's having nightmares in these flashbacks of where he sees Koba and it's really just about whether Caesar is going to go down the same path like he worries are any of us immune to this could any of us fall could I even fall like Koba did and do the things Koba did you know when they we'd set these rules we'd set these laws and it's extremely intellectual it's not what you would expect from a movie about apes that are learning to talk and that's where the Caesar character is so important to this they've kept it where Caesar is still the most intelligent ape there. And you get an impression as the generations are born, they're all going to be born smarter and smarter, you know, based on this virus slash cure that there was in Rise. Uh, but Caesar's still clearly the leader, and he's the one who knows how to talk the most. He's the one who's smartest. Some of these apes still only sign. They don't all talk, even now 10, 15 years into their story. And... Uh, other than Caesar, there's really only one other ape in this movie that would be able to hold a full conversation, uh, who we do get introduced to. It is really the only other major uh, new ape we get, and that's a character named Bad Ape that's uh, played by Steve Zahn. Who, Steve Zahn's one of my favorite actors, and he's probably most well-known for doing comedic roles, uh, but he kind of has this great middle ground here where he is the closest thing to comic relief this movie has just because of how goofy his character is but it's almost a sad story when you realize why he's called bad ape and why he does respond and do everything the way he does uh, but he brings a lot of personality to this movie and he's also the first ape character that you get introduced to outside of caesar's circle where you realize that there's maybe more out there um, bad ape does bring the humor to this movie but i don't want to give people the impression like this is jar jar binks or anything or it's emo peter parker uh, this is just uh, an ape that's a little bit more fun to watch and it helps with a lot of the heavy scenes you see and the fact that Caesar's just kind of a zombie in this movie. <laughs> He's just so focused uh, on this one mission and a lot of rage in him and a lot of confusion and being haunted and uh, by uh, Koba and everything and worrying about where he's going to go that you needed a little bit of levity from the bad ape character. And the other ones too, I mean, particularly Maurice. Maurice is the top advisor to Caesar and the... Uh, I guess you could say the more compassionate ape. And you see a little bit of a relationship develop between apes and the one hu other human character we really have in this movie, which if you've seen the poster, you know it's not a spoil, but they pick up a little girl along the way uh, who is named Nova, and it's kind of fun how she gets the name Nova. Even more fun is if you've watched the original Planet of the Apes movies. Uh, Nova was one of the lead human characters in the first Planet of the Apes movie that uh, basically rides off of Charlton Heston. And it's obviously not the same character. What they've done is they've had a lot of, uh, um, I guess, uh, reverence for the original Planet of the Apes series, even going back to Rise. And a lot of these ape characters are even named after people who worked. The name Maurice comes from the actor who played Dr. Zaius in the original. And there's a lot of that in the series where there's these tiny little nods to people who may know the series really well. And that's what Nova is. It's not the same character we see in the original, obviously, because you're probably looking at, I don't know, hundreds, maybe a thousand years or more that would separate those stories. Uh, but 
it was a fun moment that they named the character Nova, and it's just a little girl they pick up, and very similar to the the boy that they had in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the human boy who kind of helped the humans connect, where you realize the series is not just going to be humans have to go to war with humans, there is a middle ground, and even the original Planet of the Apes series, the final one, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, after having five movies of them just killing each other, you realize there's kind of the twist even on the end of that, where, okay, maybe there's some type of middle ground and peace. So the little girl really does work in the movie, but you don't hear her speak. And that's the other thing that uh, uh, hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler as it's kind of been given away a lot of other places. This movie starts to tie to the original Planet of the Apes movie without you having to see the Statue of Liberty or astronauts crashing and you know not knowing where they are uh, or anything else that you saw in the original Planet of the Apes with like the Ape City and all that. Uh, it's just something so simple as the fact that in the original Planet of the Apes movies, humans don't talk. And that's why the Charlton Heston character catches him off guard originally, and he can communicate completely because, like, well, humans don't talk. This movie starts to set up why humans may not talk. And you don't see it everywhere. It is a little part of the movie, but it's a major thing that I think would be uh, carried through going forward. Um, so we're really looking at the first half of the movie, which is just why Caesar's going out uh, to try to track down this colonel and maybe end this war however he's going to do it, how he wants to be on his own meeting the bad ape character, meeting the little girl. Uh, and by the time the colonel, Woody Harrelson, comes into this movie, I mean, the movie is probably close to an hour over. And it's really crazy if you think about it, because not only do we have primarily apes carrying this entire story, but these apes, as I already said, don't all talk. And that's what makes this movie so effective, is that now that we've watched Rise and Dawn, the slow progression, by the time you get here to the War for the Planet of the Apes, you're not even really questioning the fact that you're watching an hour of a movie where some apes are kind of doing broken English and the majority of the time they're doing sign language with subtitles. I mean, it's almost like watching a foreign subtitled film for the first hour. And when the colonel does come in, I mean, he is as bad as you can imagine. <laughs> this is, uh, if, if Woody Harrelson uh, wanted to top what he did in Natural Born Killers and be like the most despicable villain, I mean, he's found a way to top his performance even in Natural Born Killers as a despicable villain without going as far and being as R or X-rated as he was in Natural Born Killers. I mean, this is like the ultimate villain that we've seen this year. Forget about Vulture <laughs> and I think it's Spider-Man. Uh, forget about uh, whoever the villain may or may not be in Wonder Woman, which we don't want to reveal. Uh, this is like the villain of the year and it's one of the best performances Woody Harrelson's given in a long time. Woody Harrelson has been one of my favorite actors since I guess I watched a little bit of Cheers as a kid and he was funny on that, but uh, I mentioned in past episodes that we're going to be covering Anniversary Month next month. White Man Can't Jump is coming up. That was a movie that made me a huge Woody Harrelson fan. And even as a kid and a teenager, I would watch Woody Harrelson movies I probably shouldn't have watched at that age just because I love the guy so much. And uh, he doesn't disappoint in this movie. I mean, he he's giving the same performance that he would give as he did in... Uh, a movie he made called Rampart a couple of uh, years ago, a really heavy, dramatic movie, and he's giving the same performance here, acting opposite people in suits with dots all over. And that's really what he's interacting with, because even the other humans that he's leading in his army, they don't really interact with him a lot. Uh, there's also a lot of backstory you get with him that's pretty deep and dark as well. Uh, not so dark that, you know, you want to turn away, but it's also... I don't know if it was meant to make him a more sympathetic character. It doesn't really. Uh, it just gives you a better idea of where he's coming from without making him a sympathetic character. All this kind of leads towards the climax, which uh, 
it's basically what you had in the first two movies. I mean, you get a nice action scene, and this movie is low on action for the most part. Uh, I would say maybe even a little bit less than what we had in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes probably had the most action, but that was one of the things that impressed me most with Rise. And if you're a fan of this series, you know that that's a good thing, that there's not that much action. Because I remember with Rise, where I'm like, it's 15 minutes to go in this movie. And we're only now getting the first bits of action. And I love that, that it was just a build so that the climax meant more. And Dawn had a little bit more action throughout, uh, but it was the same thing. And here, I think we're getting a lot less action leading up to here. When we do get it at the climax, it's definitely bigger and it's definitely longer than we had in the others. Uh, at the same time, the movie itself is longer. Uh, the, the running time of this, I don't even know what it was. I mean, it was well over two hours. It was uh, by far the longest Planet of the Apes movie they've had yet. And uh, at times it almost feels like maybe it's a little bit too long, but then I think to myself afterwards, you know, I, we went through other movies that uh, had long running times we've talked about recently. And it's like, oh, they probably could have cut 10 or 15 minutes out of here. I can't think of where they would cut the 10 or 15 minutes. So I'm not saying that this movie needed to be shorter. Uh, I'm not saying it could have been shorter. I'm just simply saying you feel the length of this movie. And maybe that is because it is a very heavy movie. And by the time you get to the climax, though, I mean, it's still fun. There's a lot of great action here, and particularly a scene where there are some apes that are imprisoned and you get to see a, a kind of a clever escape. And a lot of the bad ape character involved in this climax also helps to not make it so dark because what's going on here is it's really what you would expect, like a suicide mission on both sides. They're both going for broke. They're like, okay, well, we're just going to end this thing now. Um, it leads to, I guess, my one complaint in the movie, and this won't give anything away, but the very end of the movie, how the climax kind of ends, leading towards the last scene of the movie, I, I, I feel like it wasn't the best direction to take. And I'm not saying that the, the choice they made with the story or the characters was the wrong choice, but just a few little things, which maybe we'll get to if we can ever get around to covering this movie uh, in depth. I'll get into my complaints on it. Otherwise, just you know, shoot us a message and I'll answer the question. But uh, yeah, there, there's one or two choices about the end of this movie here that I didn't feel was effective because I feel like it took a little bit away from Caesar as the hero, uh, Caesar as the leader, and maybe just uh, left a little bit of a sour taste as far as the conclusion of this movie. Uh, but I will say this movie concludes in a perfect way. Uh, if you've listened to Double Oz 7, available via iTunes, uh, we talk a lot about Spectre. Uh, in fact, maybe too much about Spectre. There's probably about nine episodes on Spectre just within the last uh, year and a half. Uh, we talked about how Spectre ended in a way where it could have been the perfect end to Daniel Craig's series, or it could have been the perfect way to bridge into something a little bit different to end the next one on. And War for the Planet of Apes is kind of like that. By the time you get to the last scene, you realize they're wrapping up the origin chapter, and they're wrapping up the... Uh, I guess Rise of Caesar. This is more or less the Rise of Caesar than it is Rise, Dawn, War for the Planet of the Apes. It's Rise, Dawn, War for Caesar and the Planet of the Apes. Um, it's not that his story necessarily doesn't have anywhere else it can go. It's more or less just what we saw with him establishing the civilization with the apes and the conflict with the humans. Where they're going to go from here will be a different direction. You can tell that by the end. And they may very well pick the movie up a year later, they may pick it up a hundred years later, a thousand years later. Uh, we know that they are making another movie now, and I don't know uh, if that's just something that <laughs> people say in Hollywood is mandatory. Oh yeah, we've got a fourth movie coming uh, just because they want to keep people's interest in it. Um, because 
as I said, this trilogy is kind of over, and where they would go from here would be something a little bit different. It almost feels like Return of the Jedi to The Force Awakens. You know, you can pick up uh, a year later, but you're going to be doing something new. And it, it, that's a good thing about War for the Planet of the Apes is that it comes full circle, and you realize, okay, three movies, we have a fitting conclusion to this. Where are we going to go next? Uh, where they could go next, I mean, Matt Reeves, who's, I guess, took over for this with Dawn and has kind of become the J.J. Abrams of this series... Uh, even though you know, I don't know if his involvement is going to be as heavy going forward, he's already said they have enough material where they can make six or seven of these movies, and I definitely think they should. Um, box office-wise, I mean, this one was down from Dawn for the Planet of the Apes, but we're also living in an age where I think we're so accustomed to the third part making so much money, each movie makes more, that we don't realize that uh, the third parts often kill the movie series by making more money. Let's, let's look at Spider-Man. Spider-Man 3 way outgrows Spider-Man 2. Uh, and yet nobody was really dying for Spider-Man 4 after that. And Pirates of the Caribbean 3, I mean, the, the gross was huge. Pirates of the Caribbean 4 made over a billion dollars, and nobody wanted Pirates of the Caribbean 5, and you can see that, you know, with what they made for the fifth movie that just came out. Uh, with this one, I think the difference is the word of mouth is great on this movie. Uh, it held up well week to week. Uh, there's definitely a desire from people who have seen these to see more, and just the fact that this movie, being as heavy as it is, and being a franchise that's built around apes and not humans, and not even apes talking a lot, mostly signing, uh, I think that there's a, a lot of an interest. There's a lot of interest that we could have going forward with this, and uh, I think they will make a fourth movie. Uh, I think it'll probably be done maybe a few years from now. Uh, Andy Serkis would have to be involved, and that's the great thing is you can keep Andy Serkis. So just quickly talking about Andy Serkis, you know, I talked a bit about Woody Harrelson, how good he is in this. Most of the other characters you don't get to see a lot of, and if you do, you don't realize it. It's not like you're watching Bad Ape. It's like, oh, that's got to be Steve Zahn as an ape. With Andy Serkis, I mean, he lives this character, and I would say by far, and I would love to argue this with anybody, uh, Caesar is a much more complete character than Gollum. It's a much more interesting character, and I think his performance as Caesar blows away Gollum or anything else he's ever done uh, in motion capture or out of motion capture. Uh, this is his ultimate role, and the other thing I guess I could say is that, you know, even if we flash forward, if you look at the original Planet of the Apes movies, Roddy McDowell, who played Cornelius in the first one, he was playing Caesar by part four and part five, and, you know, just keep throwing Andy Serkis in there because he is that good, and these movies would only work with him. The laughter that I heard when the trailer for this played, uh, for Rise, not this one, but Rise, that would have been the reaction walking out of Rise. As good of a movie as it was, that would have been the reaction if you didn't have somebody that really brought depth to the performance. So, I mean, see this movie completely for Andy Serkis. Uh, final review, final opinion on it, buy it, rent it, bin it. I mean, this is hands down a buy it. Uh, I kind of explained it perfectly at the beginning. Don't go into this expecting it's going to be a fun movie necessarily, um, uh, at least not as fun as the first two. It's very heavy. Uh, if you're looking at younger viewers, because it is kind of a strange thing that happened even with uh, the original Planet of the Apes series, as I said, that became a very kid-friendly series because the material, I mean, the second Planet of the Apes movie basically ends in Armageddon. <laughs> and yet there was this huge kid audience that wanted to see the others. Uh, I would say with this one, it's, it's probably the least kid-friendly just because of how serious it is and how heavy it is. And... Uh, at the same time, though, I mean, I would compare this to Empire Strikes Back to Star Wars. I know that's the one that people over-compare to, but usually when people are saying that, it's just because, oh, it's the darker chapter in Star Wars. It's not even so much this is a dark movie, but 
if you had kids like my nephews who loved Rise of the Planet of the Apes and loved Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, they're going to watch this. They may have a little bit of a hard time with some of the stuff in it, some of the violence, uh, some of the subject matter. It's just not going to be as fun for them, I wouldn't say. Uh, but for somebody who's loved this series, if you love the first two movies, you have to see this because it is the perfect conclusion. And as I said, the Bourne series is the only other one that really completed even a trilogy without disappointing you. And now Planet of the Apes has done it as well. So if they go on from here, please don't pull a Jason Bourne. Uh, feel free to pull a Bourne Legacy, reboot the series with somebody else. Uh, just have Andy Serkis in it playing uh, the lead character, not Jeremy Renner. But don't pull a Jason Bourne. Keep the series going. Uh, definitely a buy it for this. And uh, I would say even if you're not a Planet of the Apes series uh, fan, go back and watch at least Rise and Dawn and this. And then if that piques your interest, go back and watch the originals. Because I'd love to cover the originals if I could ever find the time. And somebody else on here who wants to talk about eight, maybe nine movies, we'll do Planet of the Apes one day and just dedicate a third of the year to it. I should also say, Ben just had the review of Logan Lucky that came out. Not as high profile of a movie as Dawn, but definitely more timely as it only came out about a week ago. And Logan Lucky, of course, was the one with Daniel Craig and Adam Driver, uh, Steven Soderbergh movie. And I, I can't wait to see the movie, so I'm gonna have to listen to his review just to see if it's worth paying for the movie. Fortunately, I wasn't able to be with him on that one. Uh, but listen to that episode because there's a review for that. And coming up next week, because let's even skip all, you know what the regular ones are. We have Survivor Australia episodes. We have Amazing Race Canada episodes. We have Nip Tuck and uh, what's that other show Ben does? Third Watch. <laughs> and uh, of course, the uh, anniversary month coming up, I briefly mentioned, we're going to start with Titanic later this week or early next week. Lead into the other ones, White Man Can Jump, 25th Anniversary, Dirty Dancing, 30th, and Face Off, the one I'm really looking forward to, 1997 to now, it's 20th Anniversary. Uh, those are our regular ones. Uh, I'll plug next week, hopefully this time next week, we'll have an episode on The Dark Tower, another movie that came out a few weeks ago that uh, we're going to be able to cover. Ben's already seen it, I'll be seeing it this weekend. And as well, Jamie and I are going to cover a movie that came out a few months ago that we're going to have the opportunity to see along with The Dark Tower. Uh, which is a movie called Rough Night. Uh, I don't know, it, kind of a raunchy uh, female version of The Hangover, basically is what it looks like. I'm not really looking forward to it, but yeah, you can hear our opinions on it anyways. And at the very least, you can hear Jamie, who's a little bit more interesting. We should get Jamie on here to do a solo review. That's what people really want to hear. Jamie rambling for an hour, unfiltered with no editing. I'm just going to say, if people have never heard an episode with Jamie, listen to it because A, she's my wife, and B, her episodes are hilarious. And if only you could hear the outtakes that I have to edit out because they're maybe a little bit too offensive to put to air. Uh, you'd probably love Jamie even more, but uh, we'd probably be banned somewhere in the world. Uh, so that's it. Listen to our episodes uh, for the rest of the week on the regular ones and then The Dark Tower coming next week. And until next time, my name is Colin and I love you, Dr. Zayas. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.